0: Hello everyone, this is Chaplain Caleb Tabor with the Cheshire House in Raleigh. Cheshire House is a ministry for campus students and young adults in the Raleigh area done by the Episcopal Diocese of North Carolina and I want to thank you for listening to this very special episode uh, of and also with y'all which is the diocesan podcast. We've got a little bit of a mic swap going on today which is kind of exciting. I always love it when tables get turned on people and uh, today what we've got is I am going to be interviewing uh, the Reverend James Franklin about his new book Belovedness, Finding God and Self on Campus. And so yeah, James, hi. Hey. How's it going? (laughs) Doing well. How are you? Good. This is fun. Good. Uh, It is fun. I, um, this is just, this was really fascinating. I'm always interested when people write a book or something like what, why, you know, like you could do anything with your time. Um, and you chose to do
1: this. So what was the idea behind it? Mm, Why, why indeed? Uh, a couple reasons. First, the reason was, uh, pragmatic. It was kind of a practical reason (laughs) Mm -hmm. and It was from a progressive standpoint, there is no book out there about how to be in college, how to be a follower of Jesus in college. All the books that I've read or know about start with, you know, they might start with love, but they end up in a very legalistic place. Mm -hmm. It ends up with do this, don't do this, you know, don't drink, don't have sex. You know, it's like a
0: very conditional kind of love. Yes.
1: Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you will lose that love <laughs> yeah. if you do these things. Right. Yeah. I think so, in,
0: in regular parlance, that's just called abuse, but yes. <laughs> yeah.
1: Oh <my> gosh. <laughs> mm, yeah. Take no. that Calvinists. So yeah, it, the first, the, for, that's the first reason. And then the second reason was, uh, I, I guess the Holy spirit moving something mm. and it was a kind of a divine convergence of ideas. Right. Because, because you're not the
0: only, you're not the only person who did the, but it's, it's co-edited with uh, Becky Zartman, right? That's right. Uh, yeah. That's right. And, and the individual chapters are by contributing authors.
1: Exactly. Yeah. So, so yes, that, so very much convergence of, of 10, <laughs> 10 minds really. And the convergence that brought us together was, uh, I met Becky at, at the Campus and Young Adult Ministry Conference for the Episcopal Church. And we connected and then uh, I saw her again at another conference. And I said, you know, I have this idea. And I kind of pitched what I was thinking about a book for, actually it it was originally gonna be kind of like a training manual for new campus ministers. And then the more we talked, the more we realized, no, actually, we need, we need something for students. We need to get this in the hands of students. Yeah. That just, just something for campus ministers was, was, was too narrow. And so we wanted to broaden the scope and we were taking the ideas that we were talking about and saying, oh, well, well, it wouldn't be great if, if this was something that we had had when we were in college, isn't this, wouldn't it be great if, if, We wrote the book that we wanted to read when we were in college, that we needed. And so um, that idea kind of got fleshed out at a conference in Austin. And we met at this bar called the Driscoll, uh, which is a a, a nice, lovely little Texas bar uh, in in, uh, in the Driscoll Hotel. Austin
0: seems like the perfect kind of place to hatch something like this, by the way.
1: (laughs) Right, right. Kind of very South by Southwest. (laughs) We met in the bar and wrote a book. Yeah, Yeah. And And it's like a funky town. Yeah, I love it. Oh, and that bar is so awesome. It's like picture, picture velvet on walls, possibly on seats. Lots of, lots of brass. Oh like, my God. You know, like foot bars, you know, Oh, you I am there. You know, people. I mean, I
0: have a velvet like blazer.
1: I should wear it to oh. this velvet bar. Like, yes. Oh, oh man. You would just like, it would be camouflage. Right.
0: <laughs> and then <laughs> and, Getting back and, to my effluent roots. Right. It's, but it's a different kind of camouflage.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Oh man, I love it. It's so, yeah, I think there's like a, I think there's a, a full sized stuffed, you know, taxidermied steer in there too.
0: Fantastic. I'm I love sure. specifically that it's a steer. That's fantastic. I
1: might be making that like a longhorn, you know, like I might be well, I making think that if it's up. Dead, I don't know that it matters. Mm, yeah. Right. No. So anyways, yeah. that's, that's where this, that's where this came up together. And, okay. and so Beck, Becky and I were talking and we, we, We like to say like we wrote it on a napkin like you know i probably had like a moleskin with me because i usually do and uh and we just we just started writing down like what are the things that we wanted to say and then we realized well actually we aren't the best folks to to say some of these things that need to get said we're not an we're not experts in mental health we need someone who is on the front lines of that who's maybe written about it before um, an expert in that field, someone who's yeah. thought deeply about sex and embodiment uh, and what that means. Um, and you know someone who might be uh, an authority on, on on all these other chapters that we that we laid out, like partying and um, LGBTQ issues mm-hmm. and relationships, um, success and failure and, and making choices. And we feel like we kind of tapped into the wisdom that we already knew. The, right. the folks, folks that we knew from circles and folks that we didn't know uh, who we wrote in and, and asked them to be a part uh, of this project.
0: Yeah, I get that. I mean, and I think that that's really interesting. Um, so sort of getting into the book a little bit, just like personal comments. I read it because I do my homework. And uh, one of the things I thought it's was cheap. really interesting about it is, I mean, it's it's pretty clearly it's, it's for people who were on campus, like it's for undergrads and people who kind of like, so I'd say like undergrads who were kind of falling within that particular, particularly like common phase of life, right? Like, so you're about the, the age you'd think of when somebody's an undergrad. However, I found a lot of the uh, advice, a lot of the reflections, a lot of the... I guess you might call it like pithy one-liners. They're actually really helpful for me. And I've been out of college for longer than I'd like to admit. So, you know, it, it's one of those things where even if you aren't like a college student, I think you get a lot out of it. I just like, I read it and then I wouldn't stop talking about it and my husband was like, okay, well, either I'm gonna read it or I'll just keep listening to you and then I won't have to. So uh, <laughs> it was really good. <laughs> um, I liked Thank it. You. I The first thing that immediately grabbed me was the very, very, very first page in the introduction any book that within the first two paragraphs use the word schmaltzy, I'm already on board, right?
1: I Thank you, Becky. That.
0: Yeah. Um, so you had me. You had me at schmaltzy. Schmaltzy. <laughs> yeah, and it was just a really, it was a really good journey from there. Let's see. The first thing I want to look at here is in your section. You talk about belovedness, mm-hmm. and I, you you say something that kind of towards the very end about the idea of this book being awakening to belovedness, mm. right? Yeah. So, and I think that's something really important because one of the running themes I really got from most of the chapters, if it wasn't explicitly said, it was just really strongly implied, is that like spiritual growth, cultivating a spiritual life, following Jesus isn't about earning God's love. It's about sort of waking up to a reality that's already there. Yes. And then responding to it. And, it's in, and you're growing but it's a growth that isn't something that you're like earning or accumulating. It, it's more like it's more like when you grow in love with someone. You're not earning their love. The the love is assumed at the beginning. It's given, right? But you're, you're growing deeper in that. And so, yeah. I, I really I don't know. I really appreciated that because I think yeah. what it does is it provides a profoundly different perspective on what it means to grow spiritually, right? Mm-hmm. You're never not going to be held in love. And I I love the idea that this book produces or presents that that is, um, you know, what would you do if you really believed that you were loved beyond all measure? How would that change your life? How would that, you know, maybe even change the lives of other people? And I mean, that's just a really good question.
1: It is, you know, right. But it but it can also sound very kind of meaningless too. like, okay, we've heard that before, like, how many sermons have we heard? Oh, well, what's the thing that sets, us, that sets us apart? Well, love. Okay, live into that love. Okay, so what does that mean? <laughs> right, <laughs> right, exactly.
0: Yeah, because love, yeah. I mean, we say love for anything,
1: right? We yeah. say, you know, I love you to
0: parents, to partners, to children. We say, I love this ice cream. And, uh, you know, so love can have yeah. all these different kinds of right. meanings. Right, right. But the, the, the yeah. concept of there being an unbreakable kind of love, of a of a spiritual support that is always with you and that your your spiritual journey is really waking up to that and 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 making use of it is just really is just really fascinating i love that
1: yeah well i think you you hit on the thing that i was going for and that we were going for in the book and that is that just as you said that there, it's more of about an awakening to that love that it's it's already present when in ministry when we approach situations when we go to a place where people are we don't assume that god is not there we are looking for god in that situation in that person and we know that god is already there before we walk into a hospital room that god is already with the student before we meet them and and that is that kind of belovedness kind of reality of incarnation that we were that we're talking about and so it's less of a it's less of a you know is it present in me or it's not present until I ask it, but it's more of, it's already there. It's already inherently with us and in us because of who we are, all of us. And it starts in Genesis, uh with you're created very good right mm-hmm. god and, steps and and back a divine and, image yeah exactly yeah. and then and then christ coming and i love how richard Rohr puts it um when he talks about the incarnation in universal christ he says that the the incarnation of christ is really the second incarnation the first incarnation was at creation right because christ was there mm-hmm. and as the word And the word, you know, was with God. That's right. Yeah, like literally everything. Yeah, right. And so, therefore, he says, and I love it, and I quoted it because I love it so much. I was like, I've I've got to fit fit this into my chapter. He said, Christ comes out of an already Christ-soaked world. Yeah, It's just like emerges right from everything that Christ is already present in. And I love that. And I feel like that goes along with belovedness because it's seeing that inherent value in the other person and in ourselves. Right. And the idea yeah. of awakening is closely tied to that because I, I've kind of pieced together from, from some contemplative practices, you know, and things where the idea of awakening is kind of threefold, where it's like awakening to yourself first, as is kind of the first layer of these concentric mm-hmm. circles going inward. And the outermost layer is awakening to yourself. And then the middle layer is awakening to, to the, the reality that is around you. So like mm-hmm. divine reality of, of God being in all things. Mm-hmm. Right. So that that Christ soaked worldness. Yeah. And then the center is is becoming kind of fully alive to both of those and to know what it means to like know the love of Christ, to know the love of God for you. Right. So, so
0: and that that, has, that, and that's like awesome. the kind of like the foundational Yeah. That's the foundational move that you make. Right. In terms of like kind of waking up to this belovedness and sort of taking on a whole new perspective on like, like the world and and, and life and yourself and, and the inescapable conclusion of all of that is that if you are loved in this way, and God is in you in this way, then God is also in other people in this way. And uh, they are loved in this way as well. And so that kind of has like a reverberating effect on everything from like how you think about yourself to like your ethics with other people. And that's what I really liked about this book is it, it hits on all these different kinds of topics, right? It, and it, and it it actually the the chapters having these different topics it enables them to stay very focused, mm-hmm. and you don't have to read pages one through eighty to get the point that's being made. You know, in that chapter, right? If it's kind of in the middle of the book, it's you can sort of right, pick right. it up if you've got an issue with a particular thing that you're thinking about and maybe you want some guidance on it. So, you know, the, yeah. the chapters they they range from things like you know, just making choices, which everyone has to do. Even when you're not in college, you have to make choices and you still run that risk of like making unwise decisions. And it, and it touches on things like that, on sexuality, on queerness, on like partying, probably the most provocative and interesting Title like if John the Baptist was going to write one of these titles, it would be the uh, the last chapter called "Holy Shit," um, mm-hmm. which I also just really appreciated. Yeah, and this this notion of of God being it within you and like you taking very seriously that you are of God, you you sort of start that off at the beginning, and then it it shows up really kind of in all of the chapters in some kind of way. But what I thought was really interesting was it showed up specifically in the chapter on partying, which was not this like, here are 1500 ways to avoid going out to a party and, um, (laughs) you know, like finding better friends. It was, it acknowledged. So what are the, it's very practical, right? So it acknowledges that parties are something that people do. It's the way they blow off steam. They're social events. It's how you get to meet other people. And you can do all of those things, but think about yourself. In and, and I love the way this was phrased, and and make sound, safe, and sacred choices because your body is filled with God's presence, and other people's body is also filled with God's presence in that way. So it has to do yeah. with the choices that you make about yourself, and I think by extension, how you're going to treat other people.
1: Yeah, let me, yeah. Let me let me brag on 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 Ben Adams for that. Um, he's a he's a Lutheran campus minister up in Chicago. He is the campus minister for I think uh, three or four uh, colleges and universities in in that area, mm-hmm. and he's he's a great guy. And he, yeah, I love how he how he phrased that and put it. And he 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 talks about like a seesaw of like a balance of yeah. like seeing someone else's belovedness in, in, in yourself, and when you're making choices about partying that you kind of are hitting that, that balance, right? It doesn't say like, don't party, which I think, I think is really surprising for someone who might pick up this book as a Christian expecting, expecting that, that penny to drop, right. Of like, you know, they're just kind of goading me, like, you know, like they're just leading me on. And then when I get there, I know when I get to the, the partying chapter when I get to the sex chapter it's gonna be like just don't you know don't do it i mean with covid going right now i mean it's probably okay
0: yeah that's a different uh, like <laughs> yeah.
1: maybe just don't right now but like right, we're not right saying now, that you know that's,
0: that's not the standard rule right no,
1: the... <laughs> no. we'll see okay so here's another thing about it that i we didn't really name in the book but you you kind of bring it up with talking about reality and so if our reality is found in christ as it says in colossians right if our reality is christ and so therefore our reality is living in the beloved right then we have to we have to be i think gracious to reality you know what i mean Absolutely. so we don't talk about it but we're being realistic part of college is having freedom and part of having freedom is making terrible choices right right yeah part of freedom is going to parties because that's just a part of college right well and you it's
0: know. you know that's i think one of the things that it doesn't necessarily get brought up explicitly but it's a it's a conclusion one can really safely draw a lot of this is about learning the difference in taking your spiritual life seriously and and what it means to live a kind of i guess to pull from socrates here uh, like an examined life right yeah but that doesn't have to come with these like piles of shame and guilt right you can't just like hate yourself for being a human so i think once you start peeling away that anxiety over just basic, basic human things, you can really start to grow into that belovedness because you're not always constantly distracted by the anxiety, the shame, the, the self-hatred that you're probably going to project onto others and be more hateful towards them. Like it's a whole, it's a whole thing. And it, and it really just comes unraveled, which, mm-hmm. you know, we we're talking about making choices and this gets to something um, in, ma- in the making choices chapter. I, I absolutely love to talk about discernment and that discernment isn't I'm quoting now. It says discernment, isn't so much about uh, figuring out a puzzle or solving a mystery, but clearing away what isn't good or true or important, separating it out so that you can see the things that are good or true or important. And it's about sort of separating, I guess you'd say like the wheat from the chaff in your own mind or your own yeah. soul.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think I think oh that's so that's stacy Allen and she is also in Chicago. She's the Episcopal campus minister. And she, I believe in that part is talking about like what the actual word discern means. And mm-hmm. it means to like separate out. Like in your mind, yeah. it's like dissecting something and pulling the truth out and clearing everything else away so i love yeah but stacy's brilliant i mean nowhere do you do you talk about like what do, what am i supposed to do with my life and that question in the context of the princess bride and uh belovedness and
0: yeah <laughs> and uh saint
1: ignatius and yeah
0: it's yeah. I love it. It's amazing.
1: She, she weaves together that stuff like a master and is just amazing. She, and in the back, there's a, uh, a shortened version of the examine that, that she has worked on and developed and used with her students. And it's super helpful to, um, as a tool for the end of your day or the end of your week to look back and pick apart those things of like, where was that truth? Like, was it, was it here, you know, and then kind of get clear out everything else. Yeah. yeah.
0: And that's one of the things that um now that you now that you mention it, it, it would be, be good to mention is that the book does come with you know, like sort of structured reflection questions you can ask yourself. So that if you don't have a campus chaplain um, or kind of spiritual guide figure that you that you trust, that you've clicked with, whatever, if you just haven't found one yet, it it doesn't just kind of leave you hanging like, OK, here's an essay. And then, you know, I guess you just make whatever you want out of it. So you certainly can. It, it helps you sort of structure your your thought and your engagement with the material which i I really love and you know i just kind of the the making choices chapter again she just kind of drops it like very very well at the end she just says um god loves you pay attention yeah what you know what's mic drop done right
1: right (laughs) yeah right again if 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 we're talking in the context of belovedness which we are then paying attention means like (laughs) it it, it might be being attuned to that deeper voice that is calling out from within maybe a conversation with someone right it might be being attuned to a series of events and finding some meaning in those things it might be attuned to listening within yourself about what rings most clear and true if you have a big decision coming up so it's paying attention which is which is really another way of saying awakening right it
0: you is know? and it and it continues on with that impetus that gets established from the beginning of sort of. taking the pressure off of spiritual growth Mm. because if there's one thing in you know my work with campus students and then honestly with anybody else is that a lot of times people feel like they're got enough pressure and so the idea that your spiritual life is also going to be something else that applies pressure rather than helps you learn how to deal with that and and realize that a lot of the pressure that you put yourself under is is artificial and not necessarily something that god is putting in your life that's like profoundly liberating Yeah. (laughs) So much about this book is profoundly liberating. I remember uh, in the chapter on success and failure, this really stuck out to me as I'm quoting here. Grace is the glue that holds the mystery of our lives together. We cling it neither too tightly nor too loosely to our lives with grace. We live with humility and gratitude that we are loved and known. And if -hmm. you're the kind of person who's really easily stressed out by little things, saying that you can learn how to hold those things a little more loosely, and that doesn't mean that you don't Care can really have a, a profound ripple effect.
1: Well, yeah, I love uh, that's Brandon Harris um, who wrote that chapter, and he he's been the one of the chaplains at Georgetown, and he's an American Baptist, and I believe he's uh, I think he's the pastor at a, um, a UCC church. I believe I might have that wrong, but uh, is amazing, and I love yeah, I love how he put that. I think I think it goes to giving grace to the situation when. Especially when we fail, right? That right. it gives a lot of grace into the situation. And his chapter is amazing, especially for and important for college students to read right now. The stress of school, getting into school, the whole process, even once you're there, it doesn't let up. There are schools that are considered like high stress schools where there might be more expectations or greater expectations on you to perform well. And it injects some vulnerability into it it injects yeah. some grace into that situation and it does take that pressure off again like you said yeah. it, it it's not so much to perform but just to be and live into and live into this identity yeah. of being beloved first absolutely
0: and that's that sort of uh, leads well into this this thing that the question that was asked in the relationships chapter mm that really struck me when I read it. And it is one of those questions that you could probably ask for the rest of your life in an effort to keep yourself honest. And uh, the the author of this chapter asks us, does what you know of God broaden your sense of meaning or does it limit it? And uh, what are ways that you can engage contemplation on God in relationships as you seek to deepen your spiritual formation? So that your relation, at, at this point, it's like your relationship with God and with other people start getting linked, right? right and and the more narrow your perspective of god that might narrow your perspective in your relationships with other people yeah and and taking god's vastness seriously
1: (laughs) imagine that yeah the the buzzword right now is you know intersectionality of yeah right i mean especially in terms of of racism of here's a system and here's how everything is just so intrinsically linked You know in good ways and bad and most of it is is in the negative of this causes this and it's linked to this and its underlying issue is this and and i think with relationships there is that intersectionality that of god and the other and they are inherently intrinsically bound too and one of the one of the reasons we wanted to include a chapter on relationships was not only just practical about about college about how to navigate relationships like what to do when you know um, there's breakups or right when there's like a f- you know the great friend freshman you know <laughs> first <laughs> semester clean out of friends you made some yeah. but then you know you ditch <laughs> them and I find some new. i
0: don't think I don't, I don't think i like where this is going yeah <laughs>
1: um and you know those are those are practical things but but underlying is that belovedness is inherently relational yeah and it's. Well, and
0: you can be in a relationship with someone without it being like the be all end all, right? I mean, even in the relationship yeah. chapter, though, they say you don't need everyone to be your best friend, right? right. That doesn't mean that you don't care for other people, <laughs> but you have to recognize your own capacity too. What's really important about what this chapter does, and I think what this, what this book kind of is, what this book is, is pursuing overall, is if you realize that you carry your belovedness with you, you don't have to rely on things like overcommitting yourself, yeah, to find value in yourself. You don't right. have to. You don't have to be everyone's best friend to feel loved. You don't have yeah. to do things and get yourself into situations where you might be kind of like pressured into making bad decisions to feel loved. If you carry that 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 confidence that only love yeah. can bring, right. With you,
1: right? Thank you. Yeah, yeah. It goes <laughs> to like insecurity, right?
0: Yeah, exactly. But, I and mean,
1: every all, almost. All college first-year students uh, I've met and know are, are pretty insecure.
0: <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> you know? Hey, I mean, I think I'll, I'll speak for myself here. No one else. I think that carries on beyond college in a lot of instances. Too. Oh, heck yeah. Right. <laughs> I'm, I'm, the, I'm the, the, so insecure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think that's the, like, learning to be secure in that. And that's thinking about spirituality as something that's growing and developing rather than just, like, constantly trying to earn, earn, earn. Right. That. That sense that, that that you have to earn God's love robs you of that security. And so I don't know right. you can really grow because you're not very grounded. Right.
1: right. Yeah. Right. And that and that is a question of value. That's a question Art. of in intrinsic inherent value as as someone who has value to God. Which is where it begins and then we begin to see um have confidence in that right and we become more secure in our identity of of who we are and who we are created to be but that begins with with luke 15 i believe Mm. and that was one of the the passages that was behind the whole concept of belovedness in jesus telling these parables about Lost coins and lost sheep and lost people, and all of them having intrinsic value to God. One of one of my favorite theologians um, says uh, that never before had it been taught that people had inherent value. Right. right. That in that time, even even in, even in Jesus's time, that God was something that had to be appeased. Right. You had to earn it. You had to sacrifice you know, and I'm not trying to sound super sessionist here, but um, Jesus was saying that God, you know, it says elsewhere in the Bible, like God doesn't really delight in your, in your sacrifices. God delights in you. right? Right. Right. And so Jesus is saying that no matter, no matter what you've done, if you've gone off and you've, Really done some terrible things to your parents and you've, you know, moved away like read College, right? <laughs> like you've <laughs> yeah. you've gone off and you've made some bad choices. You may you mean you know, you may have even squandered wealth and and you return and you find that God is there waiting with open arms, saying, You were never lost. You know, right. You're never then, not my saying son. you were never not my daughter. Um, yeah,
0: the, the the prodigal son story is the the son never left the family. He only thought he had, right? But he was always part of the family by everyone else's calculation, at least by the father's calculation, right? Um, but you know that that idea of constantly belonging, and I really loved the 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 idea in the the worship chapter, and I think you kind of hit on this just a second ago, where. We try to like monetize almost everything in our society, and they, they they touch on individualism here and how there are some some downsides to like radical 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 individualism that leads to isolation because part of the implicit statement there is that you don 't need to know or trust your neighbors and that there are there are places where people get a lot of money out of that, and they they make tons of money selling communities things that they don 't need because we don 't perceive ourselves. As, as linked with one another, and that, that can yeah. lead to real issues. So, and the idea that, that, that worship, and this, I think, comes right out of the book of James, the idea that worship stands completely against that. Mm-hmm. The Christian community stands against monetizing people, and that it's a way that you sort of bring yourself, and then you kind of lose yourself mm-hmm. in a certain kind of capacity, which um, gets into this, like, sort of notion of egolessness, that that runs throughout the book, I think as well. And so that as you're building a healthy sense of self, you have to do that in relation to others, not at their expense. And that doesn't sound that profound, but like people don't live
1: that way. And a lot of (laughs) churches don't live
0: that way at all.
1: Um, And a lot of denominations don't model their, their worship services in that way. No, not at all. (laughs) Uh, Unfortunately, there are many who thrive on, on fear and, (laughs) and monetize it, right? Oh, um, absolutely, yeah. So. Fear fear is always a bestseller. Fear is, fear is. Uh, it motivates like, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic when the run on toilet paper and bread and everything, right? Right, You know, right. go. You gotta go get it, you know, go get it, like, give us, sure. you're gonna go to hell, so, you know, give us your money.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. well, you, that, can't, so. you can't, you can't, it, it's harder to control people who aren't afraid. But I mean, I think that's the point of the book. Control, yeah, right. You can't um, control someone who is grounded in an eternal sense of their own like belovedness and belonging. You just can't do it.
1: Yeah, yeah, right, right. So <laughs> I want to say something about like that tying into a little bit of deconstruction about, <laughs> about yeah. faith, about religion yeah. in general of of the church being in bed with empire, you know, since 16, yeah, right, yeah. sure. Yeah. And, and right. And, and they're they're the, holding the gate. They're the gatekeepers to salvation, which is not biblical at all. Right. Um, <laughs> and, well,
0: this gets back to, this gets back to what we were saying earlier about losing the love me or else. Yeah. Right. Love right. me or else. If you say that in any human relationship, it's not a days, relationship as not a relationship at all and no one would look favorably on that and so this is really about like and I'm glad you mentioned sort of deconstruction because it's it's about deconstructing a lot of ideas that people would bring in but then in a in a place where I think we don't get a lot of help in our present society is moving beyond the deconstruction phase to some kind of reconstruction. Like you've got to give me something to put in there. And I think one chapter that does this especially well um, is the, the chapter God made the rainbow about queerness. Mm, Yeah. One of the big, that's beautiful
1: reconstruction.
0: It It is because I mean, what, what uh, the, the author Adrian does, and that's, that's my predecessor at the Cheshire house, by the way, Oh, I also signed up on her ordination paperwork because she came from St. Cyprian's where I was the minister before this present job. So I'm like super proud. Um, yes, yes. <laughs> just gonna yes, take a moment love- to brag. Adrian, um, if you're
1: listening, we love you. Adrian, yes. beyond all measure.
0: So the, but one of the things that I really love here is Adrian gives an example of what it looks like to queer the Bible. Mm. And it's not just like, how do you go back and find a response to the passages that people uh, use against you? And it's not this constant thing. And like speaking as a queer person, this frustrates me, is people saying things like, you know, God loves everyone, like implication, even you, right? So seeing yourself not necessarily in the even you, but how as a queer person, can you look at the stories of the Bible as reflecting your existence in some way and giving you something to relate to? And so, you know, she, she looks at these different passages and stories and stuff from the Bible and really relates them to the queer experience. Things like having to leave your home, things like, you know, having the a, a, a concept of like a chosen family. I mean, these are all things that we do. And it's just, that's a positive step in the direction of not just deconstruction, because we're clearing away, you know, as the, the discernment chapter says, the making decisions chapters, and we're clearing away the old stuff and then and like seeing what's there. And and that you actually can make steps in a positive direction, and I think that's what belovedness sort of emboldens you to do, and it's it's, yeah. it's beautiful. It's absolutely- yeah, I
1: mean, you show me a book, you show me a book uh, that's um, not only positive, but and not only affirming, but just like this is gospel truth. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. About what it means to be queer and follow Jesus in college. And, yeah. and I'll, I'll, I could show you one book, I guess, and it would be this. Right. So isn't it refreshing to hear something like, well, actually the rainbow was a sign that never again will harm come to your body. You know, yeah. that yeah. God loves you that much, right? Mm-hmm. And as coming from the place of like reclaiming the rainbow as yeah. not just a more i don't even want to use the word secular but just symbol right of sure. of what it means to be queer and it's not a religiously be, sectarian so yes right 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 yeah yeah it's yeah. so a reclaiming it <laughs> as as something that is that does have meaning right yeah there is more absolutely. meaning to this thing yeah.
0: and, and that the idea that a queer person can look at that and say i am not someone who's going to be erased right which is yes. the point adrian makes is absolutely right. wonderful because so much of life for a queer person is erasure whether it's mm. your family blotting you out or history pretending like you didn't exist until just like fairly recently and now you're a fad that's just gotten out of control so yeah no, it's really wonderful
1: or in religion you know uh, overuse of 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 you know gendered terms for god and everyone else yeah. or or like you said characters in the bible being <laughs> like just being straight you know and that's yeah, kind of how it's yeah. taught <laughs> yeah but right. like like like, like there's no this? way you
0: could read something like the story of david and jonathan and see something queer in it Obviously, Seriously. you're just like you know you're just being gross and i'm just like okay yeah. honey Um, yeah
1: yeah right right exactly exactly um yeah david was david was kind of kind of pansexual right i mean right yeah it seemed like it um but yeah i mean read the story of joseph you know i mean and and his you know technicolor coat of colors, (laughs) exactly and like coming
0: out like oh do i tell my family this is who i am like when i was reading that i was just thinking to myself like, yeah You know, I'm friends with a lot of drag queens and some of them talk about how like, you know, their friends may see them in drag for the first time and they don't recognize them. Mm. Right. Mm -hmm. And you're just kind of like, ah, wow, you know what I mean? And like that really do you, you know, and maybe they don't recognize you. Do you come out to them in that moment or, you know, do you help like make that connection? It's just there's so many, there's so much richness in scripture for that. And it's, uh, it was really nice to see that positive step forward. Yeah, it really opens it up. It doesn't just focus on queerness in terms of sex. There's a whole chapter here on sex, which I actually really appreciated because the thing about it is, you know, we we've gotten to a point where queer people end up having to be comfortable talking about sex because it's something that people use principally to identify us. But honestly, things aren't going to get much better in society unless straight people get comfortable talking about sex too and doing it in amen, yeah. a, in a constructive way. Yeah, And one of the things that really stuck out to me is, uh, the, the author of the sex chapter said, there is no singular way to an authentic Christian sex life. You can be celibate or sexually act, active. You can be provocative or modest. Uh, you can be in what is it intensely or not at all interested in sex. And then what it comes down to is the, the discerning in the context of a sexual relationship, using your belovedness and their belovedness as the way to make decisions. And so one of the things that this book doesn't do is give you like a whole list of rules and then let you off the hook in terms of decision making.
1: Mm. Yeah. This work no, you're really right. Really
0: forces you to think yeah. and 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 in so doing cultivates decision making and critical thought as a spiritual practice.
1: Yeah. And and that doesn't just go for <laughs> it doesn't just stop with, you know, sex outside of a marriage. that ghost is like sex inside of a marriage too or a committed relationship of like, yeah, absolutely. You know, yeah, that is, is, does this decision honor someone else's belovedness? And, and she also uh, Samantha who wrote that chapter is amazing. She's written, she's written uh, other books on, on sex and and positivity as well in a church teaching series and they're Mm -hmm. brilliant. Go check them out too. But she also says like, she frames it in the context of the baptismal covenant of does this respect the dignity of the other person? There's right. a question, you know, in our, yeah. in our baptismal covenant, will yeah. you, will you respect the dignity of every human being? Um, and then the other one is, is will you seek and serve Christ in all persons? And so mm-hmm. if belovedness, which it is, and, you know, is this honoring that belovedness in the other person is is this seeing christ in this other person which i mean it's kind of a weird question to ask like you know in the throes of passion or something but like but it it, it gives you that that moment for that moral decision about is is what we are going to do honoring is it to my, is it respecting the dignity? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And what this
0: does is, you know, it does sound like a weird thing to ask yourself, but what it does is it takes very seriously the idea. And like, this is something that, you know, kind of forget is the idea that like sexual interaction is probably the physically closest you're ever going to get to another person. Yeah. Like it is a very intimate moment. And so that's a profoundly good time to think about, your connection with that person and that person's connection with God. And, and the idea of, of sex doesn't have to be like this, this dirty thing that you do on the side and you feel bad about it, but like it can, if you approach it the right way, Mm -hmm. in this sense of belovedness, it can be um, a sacred way of existing or a, a sacred habit to cultivate.
1: Yes, indeed. Yeah. And approaching it from, from that positive place is I think something that would be really revelatory to students.
0: It's oh, absolutely! In the
1: context of like yeah. Christianity, it's like, "What are you kidding yeah. me?" Because it no moves way. from
0: being it moves from being sex tolerant to being sex positive, which is a totally different. That's approach. right. Um, That's exactly right. Yeah. So when I was reading through the mental health chapter, there were a couple of things that stood out to me, and one of the things was um, I really love this: were the two wrong lessons of mental health, and mm-hmm. uh, it's the the idea that I am supposed to be able to handle things on my own and i'm not supposed to talk about this yeah and then it it the the author goes on to say you know pretty clearly it takes all of us to take care of all of us right so being beloved and belonging in god means that you are beloved and belonging to each other right. and that there really is a profoundly important impact on mental health, the togetherness, mm-hmm. and I think in this moment where people are so separated, yeah. we're really starting to see the importance of that. And yeah, I mean, forward
1: right. talking about mental health is going to be very important. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if 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 I'm trying to awaken to myself and to God around me, it's it's pretty hard to do that in the throes of depression, you know
0: absolutely it's
1: It's pretty hard to see another's belovedness when we are so self critical of ourselves right you know have such low self esteem that really part of this process is seeking help you know it, it's sure it's leaning on others it's going to our our counseling center at school it's finding finding a spiritual director someone mm-hmm. that can shepherd us through this uh, mm-hmm. from, from this perspective. Yeah. And, and r- right. It takes all of us. I love how David uh, fitting and Hosey says that um, he's a chaplain at Barton college uh, here in, in North Kakalaki, And um, he has written a, a couple, two other books about uh, mental health and go check them out. One is called grace is a preexisting condition. which is great. Um, Love it. Uh, But he's really, he's really forthcoming with his own story of hospitalization his his own story of mental health and how it affected him through grad school, especially and coming into himself of, of like, what does it mean to, to live with this? And um, what does that mean for my own sense of how I understand God as, as a loving God? You know, mm-hmm. While this is going on inside me, and it's really refreshing, and it it, 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 I love that he offers up that it's really important to be vulnerable with each other. You know, I mean, in in a safe, appropriate context, right, and just enough. You know, well, just yes, enough
0: and and you. what it does is being more open about things with uh, mental health struggles, which uh, I struggled with depression at one point in my life, and it was really liberating to just finally learn to own it in a healthy way. And I can't tell you how many times when I said, you know, I've been struggling with depression, sorry, you know, I didn't get this done or whatever, I'll, I'll get it into you or, you know, just sort of mentioning it, the number of people after whatever meeting it was, you know, not checking on me necessarily to see if I'm okay, but they'll say, you know, oh, yeah, just checking to see if you're okay. And also, I've struggled with this, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, how- You're not unique in your suffering. And that's not to take away from your suffering, but just to help you realize, like, you have been singled out for some kind of a specific sort of punishment if you're going through something like this. It's... Yeah. Part of the human condition that we grow in.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, it takes the stigma out of it, but it also—it's a beautiful thing to move from a place uh, of something's wrong with me to this is how I'm created, and I'm okay with it.
0: Yeah, and and yeah, and just realizing that it's not—you know—some kind of you're not some sort of weird aberration, right? Like you're not like, oh, what, the, what is this? What the hell is that? Um, or as the the author of the chapter says at the very end. Really succinctly, you're not alone. Right. So, uh, which is fascinating. I thought this was fascinating as I was reading through it. So the 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 last chapter here is called "Holy Shit," and that is written by the co-editor of the book, Becky Zartman. And the first sort of subsection under this, after you get through the introduction, is "You Are Never Alone," <laughs> which I think is part of the point of belovedness because you, as you said before, you know, being loved is something that necessarily implies you know like another party. So the idea is if you internalize the idea that no matter where you go, what you do, who you are, you are always beloved. The extension of that, the logical extension of that is you're also never alone.
1: Yeah, so let me brag on on Becky some more. I don't think I've talked about her enough. Um she her her wit and and wisdom just shines through uh, throughout really the book does. in the whole in the whole process. I mean she was very everything I've said, you know, that was done yeah. in conversation with Becky and and she is an amazing co-author. And in her yes, her chapter is called Holy Shit, which I giggled at. I think I giggle every every time. And I love I love that it's just it's it was kind of like the like, well, we need to talk about suffering. Yeah we need to talk about all of these possible situations that could come about in college and what to do. So there's actually some, some very practical wisdom in there. Um, I love how you pointed out the, the you are not alone from chapter nine and then her, that section is you're never alone. Um, I, I've, n- I hadn't noticed that before. That's great. That wasn't, I don't know if that was planned and m- that might not have been, and maybe, you know, knowing Becky, it probably was. Um, but I, I didn't notice it. Um, that's cool. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we needed a kind of we needed a kind of catch-all, you know, for for some conversations and situations that might well, come up. Well, and it about. touches
0: on all of these things in a way that doesn't necessarily, again, bring about shame. It just sort of acknowledges yeah. them as a reality, and and these are things that you may have to deal with. So it right. talks about things like, you know, uh, sexual assault. You don't have to be ashamed of yourself if you've been assaulted. Uh, Things like controlled substance abuse. This is a thing that you're probably going to run into burnout, which everyone, everyone that I know of in college when I was there and that I know, you know, now who is presently sort of ends up experiencing in some capacity, failing a class or academic probation, just sort of saying, uh, I love how she phrases this, believe it or not, realizing that you're going to fail a class is an opportunity to learn something about yourself. It's not trivializing. It's not trivializing your academic career. But it's saying that even a situation where you think, like, I am getting like the ultimate judgment here, doesn't have to be the end of the story. And that last word doesn't have to be a word of suffering. Like, you can contextualize it and say, okay, I'm going to learn something from this. And mm-hmm. I think it all just gets really summed up very well at the, at the end of her chapter where she says, beloved, whatever hard or shitty thing you're going through now, know that it will pass. Mm. which I love. It's very like Ecclesiastes. There's a season to everything. It's very Boethius, like the yeah. wheel of fortune turning. <laughs> mm-hmm. And <Yeah. laughs> I I loved it. I absolutely loved it.
1: Yeah. She, she uses this beautiful metaphor of suffering as um, taking like the shit of our life and um, that it, it, it exists, right? God, God doesn't necessarily cause it to happen. It just exists. Right. Mm-hmm. And it takes that, that stuff and, uh, she uses the image of compost that kind of crapped a, crapped a compost, you know, like all the broken, you know, messed up stuff that happens to us and from us. And over time it gets thrown in the mix and it becomes soil, good soil that brings about new life again. So it's, it's very deconstruction and reconstruction and it's, yeah. in it's nature if we want to talk about that, but it's also, It's also very, I think, realistic again of but not like this is your this is not the reality that is most true about you. The thing that is not most true about you, you know, it's not it's not that you are like you did something to make this happen. Right. Like, right. Right. If 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 a family member dies while you're in college, it's not something that you did or that God causes to happen right? right um it it just happens and so like that's a, it's a reality suffering is a reality right right but it's not like it's not like capital r reality it's like small r reality
0: right no, you're right and it, it this definitely does pick up on that ancient greek skeptical philosophical school of like there's sort of the relative reality and then the absolute one uh, you yeah. see that a lot in buddhism as well right and it's just this notion of like you know, there are the things that kind of come and go in life, but there's a, yeah. a grounding that yeah. surpasses all that. And that's the realest thing.
1: Right, right. Like the, yeah, like Buddhism says, you know, um, suffering is just our resistance to the pain of the world. Yeah. Which I think is, I think is interesting. It's not like something that is positive or negative. It's not bad or good. It just is, yeah, right? It's just what it is. It's right. like money.
0: Suffering is just there. Yeah
1: or like how much how much you might enjoy beer like it's not it's not bad or good it just is you know but it could it could be bad if if you use it in a certain way sex you know if you you violate those those rules of belovedness and and respect and dignity and everything you know yeah right it's not necessarily it's not bad or good it it is and so yeah suffering is it's not bad or good right
0: and i mean i think that that gets back to just again maintaining just the context of your belovedness is what is at the core. Your belovedness is what is eternal. Your belovedness is your grounding come hell or high water. Everything else is kind of just passing through. Right. And that's, you know, that's a really profound lesson. That's a really profound lesson. I think right now, especially when we've got situations where there's the, the pandemic exactly. and the way, you know, people having a a hard time in this really important developmental stage where you, where you start sort of crafting who you're, Yourself is going to be now that you've sort of left the nest, and there is no better there is no better place to start with a foundation than the kind of belovedness that you talk about here, because what that does is that keeps that connection with God constant, and it provides a kind of spiritual freedom that spills over into every other part of your life, and that's beautiful, and that's why like I mean, even as someone who's not in college reading through this, I was just kind of like,
1: yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. the the it's so, it still rings true. Thank you, thank you. That's yeah. that's that's a high compliment. No, thank you. I want to acknowledge that, and I'm grateful um, that that you bought the book and and others who've read it and have reflected similar things. Of, you know, I've been out of college for like 30 years, and I read it, and and wow, it, it helped me reconcile some things from those days. Uh, mm-hmm. It helped give me new perspective on my yeah. own those those years of my life. Yeah. Uh, so those have been really interesting to hear and the more the more we we look at it too it's like oh yeah like actually this does ring true for all all stages of life not just for when i'm a young adult and when i'm trying to figure out you know those big questions of who am i and and what does god want me to do with my life and and all that stuff and why did these things happen to me and that that's just all of those questions still even if you're fairly secure in your vocation and you have a fairly good sense of your own self. Those questions are still very true.
0: Yeah. 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 Well, it's that idea of the sort of the evolution of the soul and, you know, constantly changing and growing. It's just going to happen. Yeah. So it's absolutely wonderful. And is there anything that uh, you'd like to sort of, Mm. Uh, as RuPaul would say, shamelessly plug, uh, oh. other than of course your book or any. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, uh, thank you. Uh, no, I'll, I'll do the RuPaul and and shamelessly plug, plug that uh, you can go on um, Church Publishing Inc. Uh, to get this book. Uh, you can visit uh, Belovedness Book on Instagram, or you can follow me on Instagram. It's uh, J underscore D underscore Franklin. Uh, and that's on Twitter and Instagram. And you can find links to the book there. And uh, if you use the code um, all uppercase beloved 20, you can get 20% off. so little little friends and family uh, you know listeners of of and also with y'all discount. So yeah, it's beloved uppercase and then 20 and you can get 20 percent off the book. and that's at church publishing. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna tell I mean you can get it wherever you get your books from, but I'm not gonna name the other one.
0: Sure. Um, All right. And, you know. Yeah, that, that works. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I completely understand that. And uh, again, this is the Reverend James Franklin. He's a campus minister in Winston-Salem. His book is Belovedness, Finding God and Self on Campus. It was co-edited with Becky Zartman. And, you know, again, I just want to say like from uh, my personal experience with it, even if you're not in, in college, this might be an illuminating read for you. Uh, James, thank you so much for letting me turn the tables on you and interview you on the and also with y'all podcast.
1: <laughs> so much fun. Always, always a pleasure to be with you, Caleb, um, in, in this adventure of, and also with y'all. And, and it is fun to, to turn it around and be, be the one on the other side of the, of the camera, of the microphone, as it were. And it's always a pleasure. Thank you.
0: Yeah, thank you. And uh, thank you very much to all of our listeners. We hope you enjoyed the program.